My name is Alexa, and I'll be your moderator today. So we'd like to give a warm welcome to our host today, Dr. Dave Cornelius. Dr. Dave is a value delivery leader at BioRad Laboratories. He influences cross-functional teams to deliver amazing quality products to delight customers. And Dr. Dave is the founder of the Five Saturdays program that empowers high school students through agility and innovation by providing learning experiences in technology and lean business. He's the author of the book, Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, and innovator of the game Agility Leadership. Dr. Dave produces a podcast on iTunes and Google Play titled Null Share with Dr. Dave and can be found hosted on grokshare.com. So with that, let's go ahead and turn this over to Dr. Dave. Welcome. Well, good morning, Alexa. Let's see. I'm on a new platform today, so... Um, normally I'm on my Mac, so uh, I got it. Show my screen. Got it. Am I presenting your presentation? Or am I presenting my own? Uh, you are you presenting your own? I can drive if you need me to. I can bring one up, but I, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today's one of those fun days. That, you know, that we're we're having fun. It's it's okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me just get into presentation mode. Sorry about that. Um, I could pump through to where we need to be. Well, we may have a guest today, and her name is Tess Guevara. Um, she's a software and quality engineer and an agile practitioner, and she believes quality matters. So good morning, good afternoon, depends on where you are. Um, I hope you guys are having an awesome day today. Um, so we're going to talk about test first, then code. And when we think about test first, then code, you know, the reason that I came up with this idea is really to help teams understand, you know, what are they being asked to do before writing any code so that they could have a context, clarity, and some level of constraints and that knowledge, you know, because oftentimes they may not have that information available to them. Um, so before I even go forward, I want to tell you guys that um, I just recently released a book. It's called Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking? And it's available at Amazon.com, and we'll bring this up again um, later on. And 30% of all of that proceeds would go um, to the hurricane victims um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands and the Caribbean. So I just wanted to let you guys know that Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking? by Dave Cornelius is available at Amazon.com. Uh, let's just go through what we're going to cover today in our topics. So we'll ask the question of what is quality? Um, who owns quality? We'll talk about test first, then code, and this concept called testing melee. So these last two principles are things that I've been experimenting with, working with teams to ensure that we build a much better quality software products for our customers. So we want to make sure that you walk out of here that you, um, at the end of this presentation that you understand there's the quality is important um, how you could use a test first then code practice and how you could leverage testing mainly as a practice so we ask the question what is quality and what is quality all about and when we think about it um, it's just really how do we build in this high level of loyalty um, with our customers and make sure that they hang around because if we build crappy software no one is going to want to buy it 
um, we, we think that in, in terms of being able to have long-term revenue and profitability, you know, just imagine if Google search didn't search correctly. I mean, you would not, they wouldn't make much money and you probably wouldn't hang around and use their products. We look at, at how oftentimes it impacts um, the reputation of organization. Even you think of things like security breaches is a form of quality. Um, we just had that with one of our, um, you know, credit bureaus and, you know, someone got fired because of it. So, I mean, the way people look at that organization is going to definitely going to be um, different and it improves safety. Um, it's nothing like uh, someone having access to all of your, you know, private information that you don't want them to have, like where you live. Um, and you know, oftentimes it's the recall factor of having to replace faulty products, right? Because you have to send it out, get get that stuff back in, and it's a big process, and it takes a lot of people to get that done. And, and one of the things that we think about is, is how do we drive costs down, right? Because good, great quality would means that you could sell things at a premium and and also reduce your internal costs as well. So who owns quality? Who are the people who are really the owners of quality? Well, I think everyone is responsible for quality. When you look at the entire value stream of an organization from the time uh, there was an ideation to where you build it and you, you verify it and then validate it and send it out to the customers, everyone in that value stream is an owner of quality in some way, shape or form. Um, so I look at it, sales, marketing, everyone, I mean, and customer service, they are involved with gathering customer feedback so we can understand what's going on. Um, we change agents within your organization as we're working through continual improvements of how we make things better. They're owners of, of quality. Um, you may have a quality management system itself where you have certain owners and actions, um, just making sure that your system works as intended. And, and so when you think of it in terms of quality as, as a whole, we're, we're looking at it as a, com a complex system and you have many people who have to commit to this complex system to ensure that quality is built in. So I said, to build high quality software, you need all brains on deck. And it's not just limited to the few, it's involved, everyone who's involved in that value stream of building that product and sometimes even those who are not involved with building and supporting um, is also responsible for quality. So I'll walk you through um, the, the concept of test first, then code, and, and you know what, what is, what's involved with that. And so the reason that I came up with this context of building test first, then code is really simply, I was looking at some of my software teams and they were struggling with understanding you know, what's being asked of them to be built. And I said, well, we need to do some level of analysis. And, and so I said, do you understand the context? You know, um, do you understand the who, what, and why? And, and oftentimes, sometimes that's not well written and sometimes it's not well, well received. So we have to understand, do you have any level of clarity um, around the acceptance criteria that's, that's, been stated for you. I, I want you to, to build me a cop that's, you know, two inches high, and I didn't tell you how wide it is. So, you know, and I never said who will use it. You know, we need that level of information as, as part of 
defining the level of work that needs to be done. Um, what are the constraints? Are there any dependencies, risk, or missing information? Um, and the thing is that once you gather those steps one, two, and three, then you could say, look, let me write a test that fails what is being asked of me, especially around the acceptance criteria, that, or a series of tests. Then the next thing is, is, let me write a series of tests that pass what's being asked of me. And the last thing is that you close by acknowledging agreement. So you run this as a team. And they know in several of my webinars, I speak about the concept of a micro teams, you know, three to five people working together. So you do this as a team and, and you could really walk through this in about 15 minutes, a very short time box per user story. So one of the great things that this helps with is you start having this great conversation about how to build code, how to write software, how to, to really produce an outcome. And it's open communication, it's judgment-free, it's the three to five people sitting down figuring out how do we solve a problem effectively. Um, we we want to look at, you know, how efficient can we make the software? How efficient can we make that code and make sure that it works well? And when you think about it, I said it's a 15-minute time box, and that's the conversation flow. We don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, and if in the, the context of Agile, when you think of a user story, um, and if you guys have been around listening to my dialogue for the last nine months, um, a user story is really a short, well-defined um, description of, of work to be done. So 15-minute time box per user story that you could actually go through and understand context. You have clarity, you understand the constraints, you, you develop some tests to fail, um, what's been asked of you to develop some tests to pass, and then as a team you agree. We think this is enough to start. Um, this helps you to just work at a great sustainable pace. And you know, with 15 minute time box, you can say we're going to set up one hour as as a as a boundary, a time boundary, and said so within the one hour I could get through at least four user story, which is really amazing. Um, you may think about what kind of architectural constraints or design that we have to apply. Um, to get this done. Now, this is a lot of steps, and you can go back and read this later, but in order to do this, we said we, we need to ask powerful questions as you work as a team. Um, you make sure that it's a micro team, three to five people. We talked about using a time box of 15 minutes per user story, where it's nice and small and, and short. Um, we don't want to, we want to make sure that anyone could participate in the process. So we talk about using natural language, which is how we speak. You know, we capture that and we write things in that, in that context. Um, we want to understand and discuss who, what, why, you know, as this specific customer by name, you know, I want something very specific so that I may achieve some value. So I can know who, what, and why as part of, of the user story that's defined for that requirement. Um, the acceptance criteria, and we'll go into some details about that. We want to make sure we understand risks, dependencies. Are there any missing information in the process so that everyone is crystal clear enough to, to get started? Um, we write these um, tests to fail, the user story in natural language. You do the same thing. We create tests to pass the user story in the natural language, and then we close with agreement. Um, so let's start with our... First question, 
And we said, quality is important because a company's reputation is influence. Is that true or false? Quality is huge. Quality is a very important aspect of any business. And as our participants are going through, engaged in their poll to, to answer that question, you know, we understand that quality is really, really important. Um, it helps us to make sure that we're not putting out crappy stuff and, and impacting our, our our comp company's uh, reputation in, in the long run. So I hope you guys uh, have been paying attention and I giving think us they have. <laughs> Let's see what they have to say. So it says 100% answered true. Awesome. This is really great because I can't see what your answers are today. But this is great that you guys uh, that are really producing that. Okay. All right. So let's move along. Um, so what are the things that you need? Basic tools to do test first, then code. Really simple. Um, you, you have a small room or big room if you need that. And so you need wall space and a large white paper. This is typical agile stuff. Nothing fancy about it. Um, you need some sticky notes. Uh, you know, that's all you need. Um, some markers. Oh, and I say painter's tape, some kind of blue tape that you could use. Um, to keep things on the wall if need be. That's it. And you bring you need all brains on deck. So large white paper, sticky notes, marker, painter's tape, and all brains on deck. So here's the thing. Let's understand context. You know, what use what user story or spike or defect, you know, is what is it for? I mean, what do they want? And why is it important? Right? So it's always like who is this for? What do they want and why is it important? So start with the story. And we've talked about this before, but we'll share it again. As a type of user, which is the value receiver, I want some value, the what, outcome desired, so that I may achieve outcomes. Why? The value defined. And so here's an example of what a user story looks like. So like I said, as a, a Wells Fargo card holder who it's a value receiver. I want to use my card to pay for groceries, what, outcome desired, so that I may have dinner, the value defined. Um, this is a very important thing to be able to purchase groceries. So in a short, concise three lines, um, I could understand who wants, what do they want, and why they, they want it. So context is really simple when it's defined this way. Um, so I could go about talking about, well, Mary, who is a, a card holder who lives in, in um, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and I was able to use her Wells Fargo card to pay for groceries so that she could have dinner with her family. That's really important as, as a developers, you could start to have a, a conversation that is more humane and start talking about people. Now, clarity, you know, we talk about the acceptance criteria. Right, so let's let's dig into that and see. You know, is there clarity for their acceptance criteria? Do we understand what does it take to satisfy what is being asked of us in the user story? So let's look at an example of acceptance criteria because then, hey, this is what success looks like. This is why this is really important. We said we're going to use this thing called behavior-driven development or BDD, behavior-driven development. 
And so it starts out with a given. Given my bank account has funds, and I made no withdrawals recently, when I attempt to purchase less than my balance, then the purchase should complete without error, right? So we should be able to go in there and say, hey, here I'm using my card. I, you know, I have enough money and I could, you know, purchase groceries. Well, that seems to make a lot of sense when we're having a, a dialogue in natural language, right? Because we know the constraint itself that we're looking at is the amount of funds that you have within your account. But if I write an acceptance criteria in this context, now I could look at the user story and really understand what does success look like, right? I mean, so because the other flip side of this is that if you don't have any enough fund, then the system should also tell you that you don't have enough to purchase the amount of groceries. Or you may only have a, sm a smaller amount that you could purchase, you know, a smaller amount of groceries. So there be there would be a lot more involved in the acceptance criteria, but on a high level, this gives you a, a great context to follow. Um, identifying constraints. Um, we wanna know, are there any known or unknown constraints that are imposed by the system or you need to put impose on the system? So when you think about constraints, we're talking about boundaries that we have to work within, right? And just this also helps us to minimize risk, you know, in the process. So as we look at this, we, we say, you know, here it is, you know, um, here's one of the, the, the constraints that we have to care, care about. Hey, there's funds in their bank account, all right? That's one thing. Um, the, to make sure that the purchase that I have is less than my balance, that's another constraint that I have to, to be aware, out, aware of. And we, we have to make sure that it is completed without error because you may run into another type of error where perhaps, you know, the, the card isn't working well and the system has to be able to report that back. And so in, in a very short, concise way, you could see that we, we understand the who, what, why, right? So we have total um, clarity in, in what's going on. Um, we understand, you know, what, what are the, the, the clarity and the context. Now we understand constraints. What does that mean for us? And, and how do we move forward with that? Um, now, one of the other parts that we think about is how do we build in this, um, how do we build in the acceptance criteria behavior? Um, so one, a, a one thing, um, Alexa, I'm just gonna interrupt for a quick second. Uh, sure. I think what's her name is asking for the, the the link to join the conference. Oh, Tessa um, or Tess? Tess? Yeah. 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 I'll just let her know that that you will be sending it. Okay. Great. Yeah. Sorry about that. I uh, hope you guys are could be patient. We're trying to get our guest in here today. Um, other thing is so failed acceptance criteria behavior, and so the, the one of the fourths the fourth step is to define tests to fail each criteria because one of the things that we said the card balance is not enough for purchases is one of the failed tests that we could create, right? And so we could test to see right off the, the, the fact that here's a scenario that we could test to see if there is funds or not, or if we're within our balance and we could create a failed test to support that right off the bat. I don't have to write any code. 
I don't have to worry about compiling it. I don't have to make sure that I have a great integrated system because I'm in a room with three to five of my team members and we're testing and validating what's been asked of us in a very short period of time, 15 minutes. You know, so we could simply go down and, and really identify like, hey, what are all the things that we have to verify to, to ensure that, you know, the card balance is not enough for purchases. So we can look at funds, my balance, and errors really quickly. We could identify those things. We said, okay, we write those and we keep those for uh, for the future. The next thing is, is that we, the fourth, fifth step is that we pass the acceptance criteria behavior. We understand that the card balance is enough for purchases. So we, the same thing, we still look about funds, balance, and error. Um, this is just simply writing out a, a simple test um, and it doesn't have to be rather complex. We, it could be, we want it in natural language because if, for example, we wanted to invite one of our executives to one of these sessions, they should be able to sit in and participate. So this is the power of the tool is that anyone could, could participate because everyone owns quality. Now, as we talk, just to, uh, to summarize, just test first, then code, right? So we understand the context. Uh, we understand, you know, the acceptance criteria and its clarity. We look to identify any kind of constraints. Um, we fail the acceptance criteria behavior and we pass it. Um, it, this is really important that we, we understand this practice because, like I said before, we want to bring as many people into the quality realm that we can. And if you're doing this with software and you're using some cryptic language, then it's hard to do. Now, if I'm using natural language, then I could bring anyone in the organization and we could start to have a dialogue ar around quality. That means you have many more contributors um, to your quality system. So let's go with with this group interaction. So, which of the following is not part of test first, then code? Is it A, understand context, B, obtain clarity, C, identify constraints, D, write passing and failing tests, or E, test everything? Which one do you think is, is uh, part of, is not part of uh, test first, then code? see here if anyone so about um, 88 percent said test everything 88 percent said test everything yes which is awesome isn't it yeah. that means they were paying attention because that is exactly correct that's exactly the the correct answer um, so let's just keep moving along um, so now we're going to pivot and start talking about since now we talked about test first, then code, we're, we're on a, a very, what I would say, micro level. We're testing user stories to make sure that they do work. Um, and, and these are just small snippets of our requirements that we're walking through. And it's a, a more of a, a, a time box of about one to two hours. We try to keep it nice and short and sweet so we can be focused. And, you know, you can get really about you know, four or so user stories done in an hour, right? If, because if you max out your your inner time box of 15 minutes, you know, four times 15 gives you 60 minutes. So you get four user stories that you can 
perform that level of analysis and get that done. So I came up with another concept called testing melee. And melee itself, what it speaks to, is really a Hawaiian song or chant kind of commemorating some significant event. You know, everyone test. Um, we wanted to make sure that in this process that we have teams where they're maximizing value and they're minimizing ways to achieve the highest quality. And that's what testing melee is about. I mean, we just recently did one. Um, and it was amazing uh, to, to look at a, a cross-functional team that not only included developers who built the software, but other developers who were integrating with the system, who were, who were validating and testing the system. It, it included people from training and people from customer support and uh, people from our, our IT team who were all involved with evaluating the systems. We bring in as many people, different contexts, so we could understand you know, how things work. So when we think of testing um, Melee, we think about how do we harmonize quality, right? And, and so as we're trying to build this trusted solution, right? I mean, so we have all of these different components that go into this. You know, we could look at it from a user experience perspective. Um, we can look at it from a business functional test perspective. We look at it from a load and stress test. We look at it from a soak test. and look at it from a, a performance test. So as we look at the, the system in, in its entirety, you know, how does it really work end to end? And what are the potential impediments that we may encounter? I mean, this is one way to do it. And let me just walk you through this reality. Um, when you think about who participates, there's a lot of people who could participate in, in the testing melee activity, right? So we could have new and, new and experienced users. We lose the software development product teams. We have customer support. We have trainers who are involved. We have IT and support teams. We have product owners. We have scrum masters. We have product marketing. And whoever else that you think could, you know, poke at this system, test this system to make sure that it's of high quality. Now, this is not you know, a long-running test. So when you think about it, you know, when we go through this, this is normally uh, you know, a half a day worth of effort, depending on the size of the system. The max it would be would be a full day. I mean, we're talking about six hours, right? I mean, half a day would be about three hours, or we're, we're looking at a six-hour time frame of how do we uh, really validate and kick the tires of our system to ensure that they're of high quality. So how do we go through and we execute testing melee? So the first thing you want to do is explain the purpose of the testing melee session. Well, we're here today to evaluate that um, this new app that we're, we're running on, a, on our iPhone system um, actually works to provide these certain level of features. Right? And what we reason that you're here is to make sure that these features work and maybe you could come up with other scenarios that where it doesn't work that we haven't tested. Really simple explaining um, what's going on for that testing melee session. Um, sometimes you may need to provide some type of a flyer or, or, or a brochure. It's really explaining how the system works because many of the users may not see your system before, which is really good. You need that. You want fresh eyes on it. Um, if you have, a, a, like you said, you have a series of features, 
you could assign very specific features for people to work on. And, and that's really important because now we're beginning to break the work down into smaller units that can be quickly evaluated and people are not overwhelmed by the whole entire system. So now if they have a handout, um, which is could be more uh, also like of a training guide that they could follow, then they could walk through a training guide and it will validate a very specific feature within the system. Um, we may ask others who are a bit more experienced and said, hey, can you explore? Um, some of you guys, you explore, you know, click this this way, use these, you try different combination of keys to see how the system works or, or if it breaks. Um, we have to have a way of tracking defects because one of the things that comes out of testing Melee is often a lot of defects, things that are totally unexpected. But I would rather catch all of these type of defects in-house first before they go out the door because it's cheaper for me to fix it in-house than for me to send it out and have customers create complaints and then you start that whole system of trying to mitigate risk based on defects or low quality. So this is a great way of how you could track defects. Um, like I said, we always want to close with a 60 to 90 minute retrospective. And really it's just to help to understand people's experience going through the testing melee, things that they learn about the system, since things that they learn about the process, which is really important. Um, so what happens is that you're going to have outcomes that you know you have to pay attention to. So you're going to have lots of, of defects, and so you have to think about working as a team because you, you will need a team to execute testing melee, and you want to start to prioritize what are you know things that are priority one and two defects, things that are totally cause your system to fail and, and create a serious amount of calls for your custom, customer support group. So we want to prioritize, prioritize and get those done first. Um, we always provide a tool. So sometimes we use you know, Google Docs or SharePoint or some tool like that where you could set up a single document that's structured in a certain way that people could start to catalog um, some of the defects that that they've encountered, some of their experiences, even some of the good experiences, you want to capture that. Um, we have to, you know, as if whoever is facilitating, or you may have several facilitators, their their participation in this process is to really also observe what's going on with the people who are who are actually playing with the system, right? So we can start to capture some of their reactions to the system. Um, the final step is, is to really get involved with a retrospective. Make sure that we could retrospect and understand um, what's going on with our system. Um, where are their failure points? Um, are, are things going really well? Um, and so at the end of the testing melee, we set up a retrospective where we start asking what went well, what didn't go well, what do we want to improve? Um, this is also executed by an experienced Agile coach who helps to facilitate this process. Um, you, you know, so you could probably even use someone who is not as experienced as well, but it's you would have a much better outcome in terms of the flow if you have an experienced um, Agile coach or facilitator to help walk you through the retrospective experience. You know, I, when you, what comes out of retrospecting often is really the learning experience of the, your participants. Uh, you know, you may find that people would say, well, we couldn't 
actually, we couldn't find the word, the link to go log our, our defects. Or this was really complicated and we didn't understand how to get this done. And, and so that creates a lot of um, heartache for a lot of the participants. I mean, it's just some of these logistical things that may cause their experience to not be as well as you would want them to. We, we keep a time box as usual for retrospectives. You know, we keep those to 60 to 90 minutes because, you know, people's time is really important as well. And also you just don't want people to be bored to death. So it's really important that they get involved and, and deal with, you know, the constraint of 60 to 90 minutes time boxes. So here's an example. Um, I said, what went well, what did not go well, or, and what do we need to improve? But another context that you could look at is, is what did we learn? Um, and you could see, just giving you an example, so you could say, as a developer, my software missed key customer gestures and actions. So this developer, who was part of the testing melee, is looking at this from the context of a user experience. He goes, wow, I didn't even think about that. And even for the product owner, I mean, that's something for them to take note, note of. The, the user experience um, designer and facilitator may also take note of that. So these things are very important because these are actually, you know, corrections that can go back into our system and make it better. And the, the second column you may have is what, what questions did I have? You know, um, Someone may say, hey, can we have an easier way to navigate to sales information? Right? And that's completely valid, right? It's a different way of looking at our retrospective, you know, so what went well, you know, it's, it's not always, you know, all the goodness of the system, sometimes it's learning. Learning is important so that we could continually improve. And, and, you know, sometimes it's good to hear, you know, as a column, what are we thankful for? Why is this important? You know, this is really important to be thankful for, you know, the systems that we have and for the people who are building these systems because it's either A, generates revenue, or B, help us to um, really maintain cost, right? Or help us to accelerate work that we're doing. So as you can see, it's just a simple example for a retrospective. You know, what was learned? What questions do we have? and what is thankful. And you could use this for just about anything. Um, it doesn't have to be for software. I mean, I, I sometimes use this when I'm sitting down going through an experience and I, I want to just reflect and understand, you know, what has taken place and what experiences did I have. So here's group interaction number three. Um, testing melee harmonizes quality. Is that A, true? or B, false? Does it really harmonize quality? So I think everybody is in agreement here when they say true, 100% answered true. Awesome. I wonder, did Tess ever make it on? Yeah, yeah she's here. Hey, Tess, <laughs> awesome. I didn't know you were there. The link. I don't know why I couldn't get in. That's all right. Let's just stay focused. So it's just great because we do have time. So I guess we will, all of the questions are left to the end. So here's the summary of what happens with 
when we're trying to build a, a quality solution, um, look, this really helps to improve customer satisfaction. Right? People are happy when they have great products that works, uh, products and services. Um, the people who are building it, I mean, morale is increased if, if you know, people are not slamming them, saying, oh, your system sucks, it doesn't work, you know. Uh, you know, you, most of you, if you've been involved with building product software, um, you've heard this before, and hearing the good news is really awesome. We believe the test first, then code builds understanding. TFTC builds understanding by the team members who are involved with making sure that we have a quality outcome for our customers and the organization. Testing Melee really encourages quality ownership for all. It's it's really it's important that um, we use this practice in a way that it, it brings in multiple disciplines for testing. Uh, you know, and no, normally people have unit tests, functional tests, this test. But what if we did them all together, all at once? You know, at the end of a build cycle. Um, it would truly make a huge difference in terms of building confidence that we have really done our due diligence. So when I said any questions, I am going to jump over and Tess, I, I, I know I sent you these questions um, yesterday and, and so we didn't get a chance. So guess what? For the next few minutes, I'm just gonna ask you questions. How's that? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so let's just start with the first one. And matter of fact, Tess, I'm glad. I know you're at a conference right now and you took some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Really appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah. So let's start with question number one. So let's share at least one incident in your experience when poor quality negatively affected a project. Okay. Um, the poor quality affected my project in a sense that we're we are doing, we are in Agile uh, and in Agile there's two-week agile, and so in other words, your estimation on any pro any task within the project is very important. And there's this one um, one task that we thought it's real easy. We didn't even look at you know what are the possibilities that could negatively impact or positive about it. We just said, oh, that's so easy. It takes about only one day to do that. When we actually sat down and look at the, you know, how to code it and what impacts, we found out it's big. It's it's big, a lot bigger than what we thought it is. And it's not only one day, but it's probably a possibility of four days. We could have broken down, broken it down into smaller stories. So in other words, we almost um, not meet our debt. You know, at the end of two weeks, we almost didn't finish it. So it's really important to do tests first and look at, you know whatever task you're doing and understand, you know, the constraints and everything before you, you actually, because you could really miss a deadline. Yeah, so what were some of the benefits of test first then code that you experienced? Uh, the benefits is that you are already aware of the constraints and the challenges and what's there available for you to take advantage of and what's not there. And then you can communicate it ahead of time and understand what dependencies and talk to other you know what where your project have dependencies on and you can really scope it better if you do tests first yeah i mean that's a great concept and, and you didn't have to write any code right no not at this time it's just basic understanding the constraints and the context of what you're doing and getting uh, the feel of it 
to ensure that you're, you can really do it within the time that you promised to do it. So let's, let's talk about you know, steps four and five, which is to fail and pass the test, right? Which is kind of, those two steps are similar to test-driven development, right? And we're not doing any coding because with test-driven development, you have to code. Um, in this context, we're not doing any coding. So how did this really improve um, unit and functional testing from your experience? See, the first test first is really good to, um, to do it during grooming time, where you're given a chance to really examine what the test is all about, what your project is all about. But with tester, then this is when you're actually um, almost doing like a unit test that you're writing the negative passing and the failing of the test. So you know what happens when it passes and what happens when it fails, that you didn't meet the requirements and all that stuff. Um, it really helps both um, improve the unit test and the functional test because it gives you the idea of what's going to happen and how to approach it. Although functional test is a bigger scope than, than uh, the test first or the TDD. Right. So do you think that um, in, in some of these dialogues, I mean, if you brought in others you know, as part of your test first, then code, um, you know, 15 minute time box, do you think that they could participate and help and give you uh, other insights as well? Uh, yes, definitely. Everybody's input is very important because especially if whoever's going to participate participate really knows the project. So things that you couldn't think of at that time will help you think about it now. Awesome. So you've been involved with Testing Melee, one of our Testing Melee section, um, sessions. Um, how do you think, or give some examples in, in your perspective of how Testing Melee could help a cross-functional team achieve you know, high-quality deliverables? Oh, in the beginning, I didn't think that test melee is a big thing. But then once we experienced it and I saw people, real, people are really interested in participate, participating and knowing what's there, I realized that it's really good in building up quality because everybody gives their input on, oh, this text, this text box should be here because after we do this, this is the first thing we do. It gives you an idea that, oh, okay, this wasn't part of the original design, but it's good to know because it makes sense in the flow of workflow. Um, it's also nice because um, other things, other people who are not using your software but gets affected by the software can give their input. So it's it's a big uh, uh, quick feedback, which is the most important thing in in you know providing quality to your uh, work. So when you think about you know the last question is really you know give a few reasons why a team should use test first then code and testing melee. I mean, wh why do you see people should use this? Oh, this is very important. This is something that I don't think you should ignore because if you care about quality, it's important to test first. Then you know what's what's going to happen because there are situations that you thought you know and then you realize when you're actually sitting down and actually doing it that you don't really know. And there are things that if you don't do tests first or testing, if you don't do tests first, then you go, is this always acting this way when it should not? You don't know. So it's good to do tests first because that will give you a lot more confidence that what you did didn't really break anything and really, uh, you know, fulfill what you need to fulfill. And testing melee also is another um, thing that provides qualities that you know that a lot of people tested it, a lot of people gave their impact, 
your impact on it and you know that um, it works when, when you, once you put it in production. Oh, wow, that, that, that is really powerful stuff, right? That we, at least we have someone who is, um, has done this before, uh, could, could give some really good, powerful feedback on that. Um, huh, I was kind of missing something. Let's me, I'm going to jump around here and, and try and find this out. And if you want, that. Dr. Dave, I could go ahead and um, I have your slide up for the, for the book as well. You do? Yeah, I yeah. couldn't find it in the one that I had. No worries. So yeah, go ahead and... back presenter rights. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, good. So let's see. Let's see. Do I, can I? I don't think I have a ways to, to control this anymore. So it's fine. I can drive. Okay, you, you go ahead and drive. So um, just check us out on nalshare.org. You know, we're going to get, we'll have a few questions, some time to ask a few questions. Um, we blog out at nalshare.org. Um, this is our organization that deals with leadership and agility and, and helping you to get prepared to uh, really be successful with your endeavors. Let's move on to the next slide. Right, so I was talking to you guys about my latest book, which is called Elastic Minds. What are you thinking? Um, I think it's important that you guys buy this book. The reason is is that we're we're going to give away thirty percent of all revenues um, for the next six to nine months, and all of that money will go to the U.S. Virgin Islands and people living in Antigua and Barbuda. If you don't know that. Barbuda, for the first time in over 300 years, no one lives there because of the hurricane, because the island was completely devastated. So I see we have about 116 people. I would love 116 people to go out and uh, purchase the book, either as a Kindle or print. And the Kindle version of it is $9.99. So, uh, you know, if you guys could spare two cups of Starbucks coffee or your favorite drink, um, Perhaps you would purchase the book so that we could contribute to the victims of the recent set of hurricanes that we had. And you would actually get a lot out of this because it speaks to innovation and, and how do we think about innovation and the different techniques we use for doing that. Uh, let's move forward. We also, we're doing the same thing with our learning cards. Um, those 30% were given away, so you could go to agilityleadership.com and make an order there. We use those cards a lot for facilitating learning, for different type of interactions with people. They're great topics and discussions in there that you could use them for many different reasons. Um, keep moving. Um, we do have a Five Saturdays program where we do educational outreach, and we help students, you know, really learn about agility and, and technology and, and lean business. So, you know, if you want to donate to this good cause, go to the number five saturdays.org and you could donate there and time or money all works. Keep going. Um, we, we get out to grokshare.com where we have podcasts out there of different industry experts that we could, you know, share back with, with anyone. One more slide, I believe. And again, you know, get out to nalshare.org and reach out to us. But I think we still have a few minutes um, after sharing that I want you to buy my book and, and the learning card so we can help others um, to have a few questions. Maybe we could get uh, maybe one or two in. Sorry for 
taking up all of the time, but uh, maybe we could get one or two questions in. And it, it, the real thing is if you post questions, I still respond to them and put them up on nalshare.org so that you can get your answers there. So let's just start with questions, Alexa. Um, so we're still waiting. Um, maybe we might want to give it a couple more minutes if we get any questions in. Okay, so then you could, I think that's the last slide that I have, but you could start with your outro, okay. I guess. Cool. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. Dave and Tess, for joining us today. And um, so again, Dr. Dave's Elastic Minds book is available on Amazon.com. Um, we'll go ahead and send out a direct link to purchase with our recording um, tomorrow. So just a quick note about PDUs. Uh, you'll automatically receive your PDU certificate via email. And for any further questions, go ahead and contact me at my email there. You will earn one PDU for this session. And to register your PDU, go to PMI.org and log in as a member of PMI, and then go ahead and input all the information that you see up on the slide. And for those of you on social media, we'd like to invite you to follow, like, and subscribe to our social media channels. Our handle on Twitter is at Project Insight, and you can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for the latest in PI and project management news. And in our Project Insight community, you'll find many recorded videos and webinars for you to watch and learn from. You can sign up for your next webinar by visiting our webinar calendar. And so that's all we have for you today. We'd like to thank Dr. Dave and Tess for a great session and, of course, thank our audience for your time, as usual. And we hope to have you on board for our next webinar. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Well, you can't leave yet. Do they have any questions? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do have a question that says, how do you break down the user stories for the uh, test first then code? Well, how do you break it down? I mean, obviously when you get a, um, let's say you get a story that's too big, right? And after you go through the, the test first then code analysis, you go like, geez, um, this is going to take us, because we, we have a boundary that we establish for stories. We said there should be anywhere between one to three days in, in, in size, right? Because we're doing relative estimating. And so if that's the case and you look at it and you, you said, you know, this is too big. This is, you know, 10 days. So then you look at it and you said we could break stories based on, I mean, one boundary you could say, like, we're going to look at it based on business functionality. Right. Based on business functionality, we will break the story down into three smaller chunks or maybe even four smaller chunks of, you know, we said we want, if it's 10 days, we think it's going to take. So maybe we have four stories as opposed to one. And that could happen in that 15 minute discussion, right? Because basically you have it, all of the right people at the right time making um, those type of decisions. Um, Tess, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, actually, I don't do test first on the big, big story. I always do it on the smaller story. So once on the smaller story, then I can gain, I can gain understanding of what my constraints are and what I can do and stuff like that. And again, the, the way you break a big story, for example, you're building a shirt. You can start by saying, let's try doing one of the sleeves first. Is it the left sleeve? Is it the right sleeve? Or the collar first? That's how you break it. You don't just uh, take one story and say, I'm breaking it this when it, it has to have, normally what I want is like a vertical slice of the story so that you understand the full context of where it's going. 
Yeah, and and that's that's quite valid, you know, in terms of breaking it into slices based on business functionality. You know, a left sleeve, right sleeve is a functionality that you need. Um, so, so great, great response. Thank you for contributing that. Um, what's the next question if we have one? Yes, yeah, someone asked um, comprehensive, or let me see, I don't think that's the full question. Do you find that the test cases that come up in within 15 minutes is comprehensive or does a QA engineer need to circle back later and finish up uh, adding test cases to ensure complete test coverage is obtained? I'm going to let Tess answer that because remember we're dealing with micro teams, so we're not just dealing with just developers. We're dealing with developers, testers. You could even add more um, roles, you know, as part of that three to five person team. So Tess, why don't you answer that? Okay, the test first really is more like a component test, unit test that would build up. Means you're only answering what happens when you develop a functionality that they're requesting. The functionality is there or not there. But you definitely need another, there's a whole lot uh, different kind of testing. There's functional, there's integration, there's smoke. There's a whole lot of testing, but all of them are still needed. The test first is just understanding that, you know, what happens when you do this, what happens when you don't. If you don't ask those questions, then you may be missing something. And that's true because, you know, this is before you even, I know what this person is, is trying to ask is that, you know, do we need to bring, a QA engineer in to give you a more comprehensive view of, of the, the test cases that you need to execute. And the, the reality is, is that if we want that person to be part of this session, uh, well, they are because a test you are and you provide a, a, a relevant context for, you know, analyzing the work that needs to be done upfront. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so um, next. Um, that's all the questions that we have so far. And that means we did a fabulous job in terms of, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what, look, thank you all for staying and spending this hour with us. Um, this is the final Agile webinar for 2017. Um, I look to come back next year and, and provide more of a context about Agile leadership. Um, that will be the focus for 2018. So thank you all. Thank you, Tess. Thank you, Alexa, um, for all the support. And we really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Look for the Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at Dr. Dave Info or at Nal Share. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017, Nal Share. Nal Share with Dr. Dave. Nal Share.